Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Z. Welcome to the show. It's Labor Day, September 7th, 2020, the year of the apocalypse on many levels. It is so hot in California where I am right now in the Bay Area. It's like 100 plus degrees, which it doesn't do up here. Everything's on fire and I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. But just so you know, no pants, all right? Today's show, quick thing, we're gonna talk about COVID deaths versus cases, what's changed during the pandemic. We're gonna talk about influenza, what happened in the Southern Hemisphere, what we can expect in the United States, and what's up with the flu shot, among other things, live right now. So let's do this, but first, just a little quick housekeeping. The top, if, if you're watching live on Facebook right now, you can send stars in the comments. Stars are a way to support creators and video makers on Facebook. What we do with that money is we support our show, our movement, and our idea of the alt-middle. In other words, politics that spans all politics, meaning no politics, in the sense that we talk about science, we do it rationally and reasonably. The number one stars donor for the show, and I check after the show and then I'll put it in the comments and in the description who the winner is, will win a Zoom call or a telephone call if your Zoom isn't your thing, because I hate Zoom, but I'm willing to do it for you with me. And if you're an anti-vaxxer, you can yell at me. If you're a fan, you can yell at me either way. All right, so send the stars and I deeply appreciate everybody's contributions. Even if you don't win, I go through and read your comments. All right, back to the lecture at hand. It's interesting. So COVID cases in the United States have been rising after that initial surge in the beginning where we saw New York overwhelmed, hospitals overwhelmed, huge numbers of deaths, people panicking, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria early on, right? We all remember this, fear, panic, lockdowns, everything. Then we started opening up after, you know, the holiday, Memorial Day, that sort of thing. And surprise, surprise, as we predicted, we saw cases start to rise. But what was remarkable about the rise in cases is that the rise in deaths, which by the way, lag our cases, because you can test for cases if you're testing at all, but deaths take a while. So it may take a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months before you actually succumb if you're gonna succumb to COVID-19. And then there's a lag in reporting and all these other things. So there's a little bit of a time delay, right? So as the cases started to rise again in the United States, now to higher levels than they ever were in the beginning, the deaths rose, but not to higher levels than we had in the beginning of the pandemic, even though our case levels were relatively lower, what gives? So forgetting conspiracy theories and all this other stuff, this is the best explanation that we can come up with right now for why that is. And it actually holds considerable hope for where this thing's going. Because I'll tell you, I don't know about you guys, but I am so tired, so tired of the mix of the fatal mix of catastrophizing. Oh my God, this is never gonna end. We're gonna be wearing masks forever. The government's trying to you know, control us with masks, but at the same time, we're never gonna stop wearing masks and it's just a disaster. And I, and people's mental health is falling apart. They, they don't wanna open schools. They don't, they're hiding their kids inside, not going to you know, salons and restaurants and all this other stuff. Business is, all right, 
That's one side of it. And then the other side is the complete denial that the thing is a hoax, as if they've never seen anyone die of this thing or heard of anyone actually getting very, very sick from this thing. Well, we on the front line see it all the time. But the thing is, there's a reason they're calling hoax because they're looking at the response going, oh my God, why, this is insane. And honestly, both sides are kind of right, but I'm tired of both sides. The truth is, as always, somewhere in the middle, but the data here is starting to look, in my humble opinion, optimistic for an end to this thing. And this is why I think that. All right, the cases went in America because we opened up People, young people in particular started going back out again, right? A lot of people were wearing masks, a lot of people weren't, but a lot of people were. So what ends up happening? We get a lot of infections, we start spinning up testing. This PCR testing is very sensitive. You're catching infections that may be not having symptoms even. People are getting screened, et cetera, or they're having symptoms that you may not even call symptoms, a little scratchy throat, just feeling like you know under the weather, a little bit of a headache. Um, low-grade fever, they just feel a little hot, but they never check their temperature. Well, you get a test, it's PCR, it detects very small amounts of viral RNA fragments. And I had David Persing from Cepheid who makes these tests on the show talking about this. And the test is positive. Well, okay, what we saw then is a lot of positive tests and then a delay in the rise in number of deaths. But that rise in number of deaths never came close to what we saw in the beginning. Why? Here's what I think and here's what others think too. Now we could all be wrong because knowledge is sort of evolving on this and we have to come at it with humility. But so this is my humble opinion, okay? Based on data and science and rational thinking and talking to smart people. One reason the deaths never really started surging to levels we saw in the beginning is that we never overwhelmed our hospital system again the way we did in New York in the beginning. In New York, ICUs were full, morgue trucks were full, bodies were piling up, uh, it was absolute chaos. New York was very hard hit early on, dense urban density, lots of um, travel from other countries and hotspots that brought it here in multiple locations and just boom, the whole place explodes. You have people again living in very tight conditions, late to the sort of lockdown masking party. And the next thing you know, the hospitals are overwhelmed. People don't know what they're doing necessarily yet because it's a novel coronavirus. Humans haven't really seen it and medicine hasn't really dealt with this particular spin on it. We had SARS-1, but this is a little different and it's just overwhelmed. We hear the stories, you hear these whistleblower nurses talking about how it was a total crap show, total mess. And I'm sure absolutely components of that are true, but it's again, physicians, nurses, frontline staff doing their best in a very difficult situation where we failed initially to bend curve to do viral suppression and we end up with this boom, hospitals overwhelmed. Well, people were intubated, breathing machine early, early on, we did not know about giving dexamethasone, which is a very potent steroid when people are very sick. Remdesivir was still kind of being tried out. Um, and we didn't really know the best way to treat this. We were using things like proning, putting uh, patients in on their belly, and I did a video on this to try to help oxygenation, but we were still intubating patients really early. Now, since then, since that time, and the deaths were all, I mean, it was a disaster, right? 
Then the cases dropped because people really saw this and started behaving themselves and you know, uh, uh, avoiding large gatherings, the businesses locked down, which I hate, all this other stuff. But it does work, it bends the curve, right? The question is, did we need to do all that? Was there a smarter way to do it? And I've done videos on this. Well, here's what ended up happening. <clears throat> people got a little wise, they started masking. And then we start opening up again. Well, what happens in this second part of the first wave? It's not really a second wave, right? More and more young people start testing positive and getting infected. Now, what do we know about this disease? We know that it preferentially, I'm gonna say this a couple times, and again, this, this people, people have politicized this statement, but it's not political, it's a fact. This disease preferentially affects older people and people with comorbidities, meaning other diseases. That could be obesity, it could be lung disease, it could be heart disease, it could be, you know, it could be something as, as simple as dementia in an older person could give you a death sentence with COVID because you're not able to protect your airway. There's a, a million reasons, right? It's been postulated now, there's something called bradykinin storm, which is a um, again, a chemical pathway in the body that is associated with the ACE2 pathway and all of this. And there's papers on that, a billion people have sent, we, you know, there's more information coming out. All that doesn't really matter right now because what we saw is it's preferentially hurting this very susceptible pool of people, especially early on. Nursing home patients, elders, people with chronic disease were the highest number of victims. Now that doesn't mean it can't hurt young people or people with no pre-existing conditions whatsoever, but that's a smaller component. Flu does that as well, right? But this really prefers this particular group. So we end up with a lot of deaths early on, particularly in those groups. And then the second wave is younger people who are getting infected, but they're not, they are not dying of this thing. Now there's this talk about COVID long haulers and people who maybe have symptoms for a long time and that there's still data evolving on that. So these are still case reports, reinfections, which really I have not seen compelling evidence yet on, on mass of reinfections being a concern that should make us worry that we won't have enough immunity against this thing. I have not seen data. There's case reports here and there, but in reality, people can get reinfected, but the second infection may not be severe at all. There was one exception to that case, a guy from Nevada, and we haven't seen significant enough mutation in the virus that makes us think the new virus is so much more uh, dangerous to people. We just haven't seen that yet. Doesn't mean it can't happen. Doesn't mean we can't be proven wrong later, but that's what we're seeing right now. So the second wave then is effect, second of part of the first wave is affecting these younger people in a way where they're able to spread it. They can spread it asymptomatically, but they're not dying of it. What's another reason people aren't dying? Well, because we're better at treating at it now. So treating at it, sound like it. You go ahead and treated it with some dexamethasone, boy. Okay, Pa, that's what I'll do. I, he came in and I treated at him with remdesivir. I don't know why I'm doing this. So dexamethasone, okay, was one drug that actually in randomized control trials shown to actually have a significant benefit. Why would that be? Well, we give it later in the days when people are having this immune storm, cytokine, bradykine, we don't, bradykine, and we don't know what it is yet, but it's this big immune response and steroids can tamp that down. So that's one thing. We are using a little more remdesivir. I think the effect of remdesivir is this. 
Yes, we've been using convalescent plasma the whole dang time, contrary to popular belief. It's not some brand new treatment. That it, and it probably does help somewhat, right? But nothing magical or dramatic. But combine that with the fact that we're not intubating people as early. We have this scenario called happy hypoxemia, which Scott Weingart and I talked about on a show where you can give non-invasive ventilation, high flow oxygen, BiPAP, things like that, and prone these patients, even though they're not intubated, you can put them on their belly and they do okay. And they never get to the point where they're on a ventilator getting all the lung damage that comes with positive pressure ventilation. So that has helped quite a bit. Now, another thing that might've helped is that people are behaving very differently. So there's distancing, they're avoiding large gatherings. For the most part, it's Labor Day, we're gonna see some violation of that. And a lot of them are wearing masks. So when they get infected, and Monica Gandhi, who's coming on my show next week, is gonna talk about this, the inoculum, the viral load that they're getting in their face hole is less than it would have been if they were just totally naked to the world, right? And as a result, they get less severe disease. Remember when we talked about New York saying, okay, all these like people came from Italy, Europe, China everywhere to New York and pockets of infection everywhere spreading up. New York's immune system, meaning their public health apparatus, their health apparatus couldn't squash all the fires. It's like this lightning storm we had in California. When it strikes in a bunch of places at once, your response, no matter how vigorous it is, may not be enough to squash it. Well, the same thing goes with how much virus you ingest in one sitting. And if the thing is in droplets in the air, and you inhale a whole butt ton, a bunch of cells get infected at once, your immune system gets overwhelmed and can't squash all the fires. And the next thing you know, you may have a severe case that puts you in the ICU. But if you're distancing, washing your hands, avoiding large gatherings, wearing a mask when you can, even if you're exposed, because masks ain't perfect, especially this cloth garbage mask that the public is wearing, it may be enough, right? Because cloth masks would never work in a hospital setting. That's dumb. You wear a surgical or N95 mask in a hospital setting where you know the viral loads in your face are full of COVID. You just know that because they're there for that reason. But in the public, you don't know that. So you're trying to mitigate risk. So even just a cloth, and, and that includes, and I've talked about gaiters before, even like, you know, doubled up gaiter, it doesn't matter. It's gonna lower the droplet count, right? And Monica's gonna talk about it on, Dr. Gandhi's gonna talk about that on the show. But the idea then is that people are getting less severe disease. So look at the numbers. You see cases higher than they've been, deaths not even approaching where we were in the beginning. So this tells you something. It says maybe the worst when it comes to deaths is over if we continue to wear masks as much as we can, do the hand washing. It probably means we can start to open up because these younger people are gonna be more resilient, even though they could spread it to older people, but older people are doing a pretty decent job of hiding out. Like my parents just don't leave their house, right? We Zoom with them, we have as much as we can. It's very hard, very lonely, very difficult, but they know what they're doing now, right? Whereas my kids go to ninja camp and play with other kids and they mask when they can, but I understand risk a little better and how we wanna play it in, with ourselves and our own family and the people around us that are not at high risk. We don't interact with elders that way, right? So that being said, that means that as we approach fall, 
if we're just smart, if we do the right thing in terms of generalized masking, we can open up, we should open up schools to the degree that we can. I really think so. Strongly, strongly, strongly. We're destroying the fabric of this country to, to an end we don't understand. When we started doing this, we didn't know what was going on. We know a little better now. If you really wanna suppress virus to zero, you better go full hog on that right from the start, like New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong, fine. But we didn't do that here, so now we have the situation where, man, it's, it's smoldering. So what do you do? You try to get to a vaccine finish line while saving the most vulnerable people, while not destroying the culture, the fabric, the economy, and our mental health, while not increasing suicides and substance abuse and opioid overdose, which we're seeing. So how about we do that? Which means we better believe that what the data is telling us, which is that we're not seeing massive surges in deaths. Now this is all local. So the Northeast is looks like it may be even out of the woods. I'm gonna say that and I could be wrong and I'll be shown to be an idiot and that's fine. I'm willing to be proven wrong. I just hope I'm not because it's a hopeful thing. Whereas the South and the Midwest is starting to experience their surges, so they should be particularly careful with masking, lower those inoculum counts, wash your hands. I don't see why we can't open churches if everyone wears a mask in church. Why not, right? I think we're learning how to do this thing. But again, again, your mileage may vary, your perception and calculation of risk may be different. So you gotta do the right thing for you and your family, right? And remember that masks aren't just protecting others. If you're concerned about yourself, they're lowering that inoculum. And I have changed my opinion on this. No one's paying me. Big mask isn't, I love these conspiracy theorists. So Z-Dog, you change your opinion on masks. Who's paying you? Uh, hey, ding dong, you are. Because you're watching this video and it's gonna have ads on it. So thank you. Big Conspiracy for funding ZDog MD. And thank you, by the way, for everyone who's donating stars. The number one stars sender from this episode gets a Zoom call with me. I know that's a disincentive for most, but if you're an anti-vaxxer and you wanna yell at me, give me 20 million stars and you can yell at me for half an hour on Zoom. So back to this. As we start then to spin back the economy, what's the deal with influenza? Remember that, flu? Well, <laughs> flu is a respiratory virus like coronavirus. It is seasonal, so it tends to spread in the winter. What happened in Australia? What happened in Argentina? What happened in Brazil? What happened in South Africa? I'll tell you, a whole lot of nothing. Australia had one of the wimpiest flu seasons on record for them. They normally have something like 61,000 documented test positive cases of influenza. And think of all the stuff you're not testing for. This year, I think they had something like 107 was the statistic I saw. That's That was in a piece that I saw. And again, I hopefully that's a correct piece of data, but regardless, it's I think Argentina had 120th the amount of flu that they normally see. Their peak season is July. Why? Because guess what? Washing your hands, wearing a mask, avoiding large gatherings, shutting down international travel, reduces the spread of respiratory viruses. It works. Now they're still seeing COVID because I think our innate immunity too to COVID is much less because we really haven't seen this virus. 
doesn't mean there isn't immunity, by the way, which brings me back to why are there less deaths now? I think the population now that hasn't initially been exposed may have some innate coronavirus resistance from exposure to other coronaviruses, T-cell immunity. Now, again, your mileage may vary. I may be proven to be wrong, but I think it's true because you see surges and then you see rapid declines. You pick off the most susceptible people with infection and then the rest have some, either they got infected at a low level and have developed immunity or, which I think is less likely because it's never gotten above you know, 20, 25% like New York, or they have some innate resistance to this. They're younger, they're some genetic thing or they've been exposed to coronavirus. So that's very encouraging, you guys. Why are we catastrophizing? Well, I know why, because people are scared and we've seen this thing do terrible things and those of us in healthcare have seen it do terrible things. And why are we minimizing it? Do we want to prolong the economic agony by continuing to have surges in cases and deaths and people not you know, um, doing things that would are, are really minimally invasive for most people? Like throw on a, I don't care what you put on, just put on a lace panty on your face. Just do something to lower the overall droplet count, even if it's a placebo and just do it, it's not that hard. And then we get to open up again, right? Open up schools, let's get back to work. That's what we need to do. Now, what about flu? So flu season is coming, typically. Will we see in the United States what we saw in Australia, which is a wimpy flu season? Well, one will hope so. But what can we do to help make sure that's the case? Well, all the things that work for coronavirus work for flu, okay? although I'm not advocating you go back to lockdowns, I'm saying wash your hands, distance, avoid large gatherings, wear a mask. But then the second thing is we have a vaccine for influenza. It's not perfect. God, I'm so tired of people who are like, but it doesn't work. Okay, let's say it's 40% effective, okay? That's kind of on a bad year, 40%. Would you rather have 0% Efficacy by not getting the, oh, well, I never get the flu. Okay, it's not just about you. The flu vaccine triggers a, an immune response. It's a killed, inactivated vaccine. It will not give you the flu. It will give you some symptoms potentially because your immune system fires up. And then you're more resistant to flu than you would have normally been, which means you're less likely even to get it, be minimally symptomatic and give it to someone who can die. Because flu kills older people, young people, normal people, unnormal people, I mean, everybody. So if we all got vaccinated, typically in a typical year, only 45% of adults get vaccinated. Everybody over the age of six months should get vaccinated for influenza, right? And so if we did that, that would at least help us. And that's why I think, uh, you know, you see less fatality rate too from influenza. We do have an effective vaccine that is at least effective enough that it helps knock down the caseload. It's kind of like wearing a mask, lower the inoculum, lower the amount of circulating. It, it just, just do it. Now here's the, oh, I'm allergic to eggs. That's not a contraindication to getting the flu vaccine. So you can be allergic to eggs. You can even get hives from eggs. You can even have had anaphylaxis from eggs. You just need medical supervision when you get the vaccine. You need someone to watch you to look for signs of reactions. They're unusual. So that's not an excuse. And they also have you know, formulations that aren't done in eggs. So there's, th there's things you can do with influenza. Now, here's a question. When should you get the influenza vaccine? This came up interestingly. So Maurice Shaw, 
who is a pharmacist uh, who was fired from Walgreens for doing stand-up comedy, uh, was on my show, um, has been talking about this, that uh, big pharmacy chains have been pushing flu vaccination in August, right? Which was just last month saying, hey, you can get it now even before the doctors have it. Just get the pharmacist to do it. Oh, listen, I get my I get my flu shot from a pharmacist any chance I can get because they do a great job and it's convenient and it's cheap and it's it's awesome. I got it last year from my big, you know, multi-specialty health system. It was a disaster. It was slow and awkward and unpleasant and bureaucratic. And I got billed $80 for a flu shot for me and each of my family members because of an insurance screw up. Who needs that? Just go to Target and get your flu shot. But when? If you get in August, okay, these pharmacies are pushing this. That's not the best time to get it with one exception, and we'll talk about that. <clears throat> the flu vaccine, remember they're talking about coronavirus antibodies declining over time? Well, flu vaccine effect declines over time as well. That's why you get it every year. And over the months, particularly in people who are elderly, who mount less aggressive immune responses, people who have some degree of immune compromise, they may find that their immunity wanes over time. And by the time the flu season is just on its tail end, they could get flu again. And that could be devastating. So CDC and others recommend ideally in the fall, sometime late September, October, I think October is the sweet spot, get your flu shot. And that way it takes two weeks to develop enough antibodies to have immune response that's meaningful. So remember, if you get it too late, you might miss a window and get flu before. People are like, I got the flu shot and then I got the flu. Well, it takes two weeks to kick in. And no, it didn't give you the flu. You're in flu season, right? So get it sometime September, October. I like October the best if you can. But if you're gonna forget and you have a target of opportunity, just go get it now. Get it immediately because it's better to have gotten it than to not have gotten it at all. Now, the exception to this rule are young kids under eight who've never gotten a flu shot. They need a series of two, all right? And I think it's a month apart. Don't quote me on that. You can look it up on CDC site or talk to your pediatrician. When you get the flu vaccine then, they say get it as soon as you can because you have that delay before you get that second one. And you don't wanna do that starting in you know November because then you have a whole month where you're kind of potentially vulnerable. So those are that's an exception to that flu. And then if we're lucky, we see what we saw in the Southern hemisphere where these efforts that we're using to control COVID actually work on influenza and we don't have you know, fluvid, which Dave Persing talked about. Now there's still other respiratory viruses like RSV and hopefully those will also be mitigated. Also remember the lack of kids in school really, really puts the brakes on influenza. If we open up school, you're gonna see that spread too. It's just a fact. So I'm not exactly sure what they've done in Australia, Argentina, Brazil. Now Brazil still had a lot of flu deaths, but Brazil hasn't really handled COVID very well either. So they're, they're one of the top number of cases in the world. Um, is Brazil. Now they also have a very big population. So you have to look at per capita deaths and things like that, where by the way, the US is you know not at the top of that. So all that being said, that's what I wanted to talk about. And I wanna say this, this is something very important. Let's pull ourselves together. I know it's an election year, everyone's behaving like jackasses. 
everyone on Facebook is attacking each other, everything's politicized. Doesn't matter what video I do, either the left or the right's gonna attack me as some kind of shill, wonderful. That's a badge of honor for me because I live right in the alt middle. <laughs> it's a radical, radical extremist place where we're just looking for truth wherever it lies, trying to reason it out, recognizing our biases when they exist and being humble in the face of them and saying, you know what, there's a good chance I'm wrong, but this is what I think right now based on everything I know and I will update my opinion and thoughts if it changes. I am not stuck to a tribal identity. I shall not be stuck to a badge that supports some party that is a BS construct of some ideological checklist that you shouldn't have. Think for yourself. Don't go down an ideologic checklist. Well, because the Republican Party says this, then I must believe this. Because the Democrats say this, because other social justice people say this, then I believe this. Think for yourself. You don't need to be an ideological purist because such a thing in the universe doesn't exist. The universe is unfolding. It's throwing us curveballs. We need to be adaptable. We need to think for ourselves. We need to use critical thinking. We need to listen to a bunch of different sources. We need to get out of our thought bubbles. We need to open our economy. We need to open our schools. We do need to wear masks. We do need to wash our hands. We do need to be kind and treat our neighbors as though they were ourselves as the golden rule, which was passed on from every single tradition to us. Let's actually live it. Try to meditate a little more, be in the present moment understand that compassion beats almost anything else on any given day, and that's what I wanted to say. I will go in and thank everybody who has sent the stars. I don't know who the winner is. I'm gonna check after the show. You'll get a Zoom call with me and you can yell and scream at me and it'll be a lot of fun. The last Zoom calls I did for a show like this were so lovely. I got to meet brilliant, brilliant people who disagreed with me on some points, and that was a wonderful discussion. That's what we want. All right, guys, I love you. Stay safe, stay woke, and we out. I'm gonna put some pants on and take the shirt off because I am hillbilly AF. Peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.